loves them and we should love who God loves, right? And, uh, and as we uh, think of those things, the command to be holy, the command to love one another, as we think of those things, we move into chapter 2 now. And really the theme of chapter 2 is, is, is separation. And look at verse 9 and 10, if you would, please. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people, but now are, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And we see when we talk about the subject of separation, we are talking about what God desires for his children. What he desire, how, he, how he wants us to behave, how he wants us to act, how he wants us to look, where he wants us to go. And when you think about this, I mean, I, I, I would think of all, I mean, everybody has, uh, let me say, most, if not the majority of Christians have some idea of separation that they would agree with. Where the disagreement comes in is, where do you draw the line, right? Some people draw up here, and some people draw down here. Some people you're think, I don't even think you have a line anywhere, right? But they would say they do, and then others say, uh, you know, it's, it, it's higher, and, it's, and it's, it may look more visible than somebody else's lines may look. But the point of it is that God desires that his children be different. Let me say it this way. He desires that his children be like Jesus. Amen. Right? And so, I mean, when you, when you think about it, um, doesn't he have every right to do that? Yes. I, mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, look at it this way. Could you imagine, maybe you, uh, there, there was, a, you, you, I mean, think years ago, maybe, you know, years back when the orphanages were all over the place. Maybe here you were, you went to an orphanage and you adopted a, a little boy out of that orphanage. And, and maybe he spent his living before that, before he got to the orphanage. Uh, you, you would see in, you know, in the 1800s and 1900s, early 1900s England. And you see the things of the begging and the little kids that, you know, there was no government um, uh, safety nets and little kids were sent out to beg and to try to get things like that. Well, here you are. He begged and that's how he got his money. But here you are, you've, you've adopted him. Could you imagine if every day he got his old grubby clothes out and went out to the corner and began to beg again for money? You'd say, hold on a minute. No, you don't need to do this anymore. You don't need to dress like that. We have fine clothes for you. We have everything that you need. You don't need anything else. Stop begging, please. You, you belong to us now, right? Could you imagine in, in even a greater uh, illustration maybe or a thought, could you imagine of even more recent times uh, the, the tragedy of maybe you adopted a, a young girl, maybe a teenage girl who had uh, sadly, and this goes on way more than we even realize, maybe sadly had had been put out by her family to go make a living in the sex trade. And she gets adopted. And then, and then she just goes out and like she thinks, well, this, uh, yeah, I'm adopted. I have a new family. I have a wonderful home. And then she, she goes out every day to go back to the trade. And you, you would plead with her and say, no, stop this, please. You don't need to do this. We have everything that you need. We, uh, you don't have to get your living this way anymore, right? I mean, we would be astonished at that. 
Yet our Heavenly Father no doubt looks at us and says, you don't need to do this anymore. You don't need to live this way anymore. You don't have to act like this anymore. You belong to me now. And that's an incredible thought, isn't it? That God is our Father. I don't know if we meditate on that. I don't know if we meditated on enough with the prayer that the Holy Spirit of God would help us get the gravity of what that really is. And it would take the Holy Spirit of God to help us to get the gravity of, of the weight of the thought that the God who spoke everything into existence said, I want you for me and I want to be your dad. I mean, we don't go around saying calling God dad, right? I think that's maybe borderline a little too casual. I, I have trouble with that, right? Uh, we're definitely not going to go around saying daddy. There's some weirdos out there saying, see, Abba Father, Abba means daddy, and they go around calling him daddy. That's kind of weird. But anyway, uh, but there's a relationship there. And, and you look what God did to redeem us. He has every right. Not only does he have every right just because of what he did to redeem us, but, but it's beyond that. Actually, it's deeper than that. It goes as deep as his love that he has for us that he doesn't want us living a certain way because it's destructive. Sin destroys us. It ruins us. It's not just completely about that you, that you drag God's name through the mud. Yeah, that's an element of it. But I think the bigger thing is that he loves us and he doesn't want his children destroying themselves just as you or I didn't want our children or your children destroying themselves. Right? And so this is where we are with separation. Here's... Let me say this. Everybody draws the line differently at different places, and I understand that. Don't ever, I don't think we should ever, if somebody has a right heart, don't look down on somebody who draws a line up here, okay? I, this is what is more bothersome to me. It is more bothersome to me when somebody says, well, I can, I can live down here, and he's okay with it, right? When you understand what it took to redeem you, the heart attitude is, should be, what could I do? How, you know, how much more could I please you? How much more could I say thank you? I, no, we're not working for God's approval. I understand that. We're not working for our salvation. I understand it. But there should be some gratitude out of a heart that realizes that we've been rescued from the fires of hell, not because of any reason, but because he wanted to. That's huge. Yeah. And it should motivate us and move us to want to live how our Heavenly Father wants His kids to look like and act like, right? You know, there are things that, don't mark the, that should not mark the Christian's life. Things, you know, habits and vices, certain friendships, the way, we, the, the way we interact with authority. We're going to see some of these things in chapter 2. And so, tonight though, what I want to look at, just briefly, in verses 1 and 2 is it, really. I've got just a few... I've got like the, the almost the least amount of pages of notes I ever have, you know. So this this is really, Brother Martin, don't shake your head no. This is looking very promising that we might get out of here. Although I just spent five minutes on one little thing. So anyway, we have an active role in separation. There is a work that God does. He calls us out. He saves us. He redeems us. He, he fills us with His Spirit, right? We have all of, the, all of the benefits of living in the family of God, but there is a work that we do as well. We have an active role in separation. And so if you notice verse 1, it begins this way, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all 
evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And what we start out here with is inward sins. Sins that don't necessarily, uh, don't, don't necessarily show up that you would see immediately. Right? I'm going to go through all of these because these are actually pretty heavy. Notice this first one here, that we are supposed to lay aside. That we are, so this is our active role. What, what God would say to us, what he, said, what, he is, what he is saying to us is, okay, stop this. If this is present in your life, stop. What's the first one? Malice. Stop all malice. You notice that word all, A-L-L? When it comes to malice, there's nothing that God says, okay, that's fine. No, he says all of it. What is malice? Well, it's extreme enmity of the heart. It's a hatred. It's, 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 a, it's a premeditated type of a hatred that you would like to see somebody uh, pay for whatever you think they may have done. In, 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 the, in the law, in the, in the legal side of it, it is this evil intent on the part of a person who commits a wrongful act injurious to others. Sometimes you'll hear a charge of, of you know, maybe armed robbery with, or a criminal, armed criminal intent with malice or murder with malice. Well, you know, what was it? They, they was premeditated. They had a previous thought of anger towards this individual, and they were going to make them pay for it, right? Malice. You know, there's another, there's another dis, uh, definition of malice I have found all over the place. You won't really find it in a dictionary, but I found it, and I, li- I, I, I first heard it or read it, and I thought, wow, I really like that. And as the more you dig in, you find it pop up all over the place, probably because it's so good. But I like this. Some of you may have heard this before. They have defined malice this way as congealed hatred. Congealed hatred. You know what congealed means, right? How many, uh, just Thanksgiving, some of, the, some of the ladies, I guess there's some men, that maybe you cooked a turkey and you put it in that big, what's that called, a roaster pot roasting thing? Pan. Yeah, okay. And you put it in there and you got all the stuff in the bottom and it cooks all night and whatever and it's awesome. You pull it out, you're cutting it up, right? And in the bottom are all those juices, right? And while they're hot, I mean, they're sloshing around. But as it cools down... What happens? It congeals. All of that fat congeals, and then you can kind of wobble it. It's kind of neat. It's kind of gross, actually. That is congealed. Watch, the meaning of malice is congealed hatred. Maybe you put bacon in a pan or in a, or in a, in a if you put it in the oven in one of those, what are those things called? Cooking sheet. Cookie sheet, yeah. I don't, I don't know what anything's called. I just eat it. It's wonderful. And maybe you have breakfast and you come back after breakfast and you look at that pan. What does happen? It's congealed. The fat is all cold, right? What is congealed bitterness? What is congealed hatred? Right? It is, as it, as it, listen, as it is simmered, as it has set, right? When it was hot, you could kind of move around. But as it, is, as it has set for a long period of time, it congealed up and it doesn't move anymore as well. What is that except possibly bitterness? Right? Anger, watch, when you let the malice sit around long enough, right? when you let the anger start to build up long enough, what sets in? Bitterness sets in. Right? 
What, 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 we're, what are we saying here? The, uh, we're told here by God, one of the things that we need to lay aside as one of his children, God says, I don't want my children living with malice in their heart. Yeah. Is there a name I could mention that causes your inside to twist? Yeah, but you don't know what they did. Listen, if you found out something went, went wrong with their life, would there be a, a slight bit of satisfaction? Could there be a little bit of a feeling of vindication? Malice. Malice. Listen, we know what God wants out of his children? No malice. It's a choice. You know what you can do tonight? You can confess it and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to give that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. You know what? Sometimes why we hold malice and bitterness and things like that? Because we just don't really believe that God will take care of it. Yeah. He said he would. Well, I may not see it. Hey, you know what the Bible says? And we ought to all rejoice in this. Some men's sins are before man, but some men's sins go on to the judgment. They're not dealt with here. We need to get over that. They're just not all going to be dealt with here. But they will be one of these days. Malice. Malice. Notice the second one here, guile, all guile. That means craft. That means deceit. God says, out of my children, I don't want anybody living deceitfully. That word, that word deceit we get, is there's, there's a, a Greek word there. And uh, the, in, in the Greek, that word means bait. Bait. You don't you know if any of you fish or maybe somebody's online watching and they go fishing. You didn't know this, but you're a deceiver of fish. If you're going to catch fish, you're going to deceive them. What are you going to do? You're going to put bait out there. And if the bait is good enough, if it's good enough, they'll bite it and you'll reel them in and you'll hack their head off and you'll gut them and you'll fillet them and you'll cook them and eat them. It's wonderful. Right? Yeah. This is that word guile. You know, God says, in my children, I don't want there to be any deceit. I don't want there to be any deceit in your life. Do you realize Satan is a deceiver and that's what he does? You know what God says? I want my children to live like Jesus. I don't want them living like Satan. How do you, you know, you know when you think about it, when you're deceiving somebody, what are you doing? You're hiding the bait. You're putting bait out there for them to to, to, to latch onto a wife so you can take advantage for some way or some reason. People deceive in the way in their actions. They deceive in their words. They deceive in, in the things they do at times. And what are they doing? They're taking advantage of a situation to better themselves. God says, no, I don't want that. Right? Remember, when, remember when Jesus met Nathaniel? And he said, uh, an Israelite of whom is no guile. Jesus knew Nathaniel. And he said, this guy is not a deceiver. What an interesting thing for Jesus to point out. Of all of the things he could have pointed out in Nathaniel, he said he didn't deceive. Yeah, I'll give you something to think about this week. That's great. So God says, in my children, I don't want you to have any malice in your life. I don't want you to be operating in any guile. These are all internal things that people don't always see. Look at thirdly, hypocrisies. We know what this is. That's the word used for an actor. An hypocrite. A mask wearer, right? Acting like you like someone when you don't. I know, I, listen, I know there's, there's a fine line between being, uh, uh, being kind of congenial and being nice, okay, and being kind, right? 
I mean, you don't, you don't have to be like, oh, you're my favorite guy. I'm so good to see you. You, know, you can be kind, right? And be like, but, uh, but you, know, you don't want to be a hypocrite, right? You don't have to be, well, just so I'm not a hypocrite. I, I just want you to know, I don't like you. you know? I don't know if that's always wise. <laughs> you know? I don't know if that always accomplishes what it needs to, right? I've known of people who have gone to people and said, would you forgive me? I have been thinking this, 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 and this about you. And they go, oh, well, of course. And then later they're like, I didn't know they thought this. Maybe, maybe there's some things you don't have to go to everybody with, okay? I don't know, right? Uh, sometimes it causes more problems, right? Uh, but we're talking about hypocrisies. Acting, this is the one thing we really deal with as, as children of God, acting like we're spiritual when we're not. Yeah. I mean, we don't, again, you don't want to dirt, air dirty laundry every time. You know, when the Bible says confess your faults one to another, I, I, don't, that, I, I don't see any, any uh, meaning there whatsoever that you get up in front of everybody letting everybody know all your dirty laundry. I don't think that's beneficial whatsoever. No, there are some sins that need to be confessed to the church. Absolutely. But uh, especially if there's some public things, I think there's public things that need to be, uh, uh, you know, if, if it's out in the open, need to be confessed and, and ask forgiveness for it in front of the body. But, but, uh, but uh, acting like you're spiritual when you're not, that's kind of hypocritical. Right? Yeah. Jesus hated hypocrisy. Look, turn to Matthew 23. Look, let's look at this. Matthew 23. People said Jesus was just kind and he, he never, which he was, and he, he never would have said anything untoward, and he wouldn't. But let me tell you something. He did not care for hypocrites. <laughs> Look at Matthew 22, Matthew 23, verse 13. 23, 13. Kind of a lengthy passage. I may not, let me see where I saw. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves. Neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you. Going into the kingdom of heaven, what is that? Salvation. They're keeping people from being saved. And he says, you're not going. And uh, you're trying to keep them out also, right? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold, the child of hell than yourselves. Wow. What do you think the Lord thought of? What do you think God thinks of hypocrisy, right? Verse 16, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whatsoever, whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it is guilty. You fools and blind, for whether it is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. And he goes on in, 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 on even more. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the others undone. I, I, would, I, I present to you tonight, there was not a rabbi who has ever stood up and said this to these people like Jesus did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No wonder. No wonder they sought to kill him, right? 
Yeah, truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? They had to know. I mean, how do you argue with this? No, hypocrisies. God says, no, I don't want my children to be hypocrites. I don't want you to be hypocrites. Live, an on, live honestly. You know, these are inward things, right? Some of our biggest hypocrisies are before God. Can I tell you, you've heard me say it often. Just be honest with him, would you? If you would be honest, he could really help you. But sometimes I don't believe God, God isn't, he's not that he's not able, but he, he is not going to help if you're just not going to be honest with yourself. You just need to come to him and say, listen, Father, I, I have, you know, I don't desire your word right now. I don't desire prayer right now. I'm struggling even come to church. I don't want to hear, I, I don't, I, listen, I'm just going to be, be honest with him. Be honest with him. Be amazed how quickly he'll help you. Was it not a great joy when one of your kids came to you honestly? It's a boy, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen much. But boy, if it ever did, it was like, wow, that's great. Let's move on. Okay, no, no malice, no guile, no hypocrisy. Envies. Mad when somebody else excels in life. When somebody else does better maybe than you do. Envy. Envy. They got the promotion at work. You didn't. They got the new car. You're still driving that old jalopy, right? You see them motor up into into church parking lot, the new car. The whole family's grinning ear to ear because they love the new car. And you pushed yours into its place and shut the door and parts fell off and growling on the way in, right? It's easy to get envious, isn't it? God says, no, I don't want my children envious. They're going on vacation again. They just went on vacation. Right? Yeah. I texted our daughter today. I said, I'm going to mention you in service tonight. And she went, oh, great. What? And, uh, and uh, I told her what it was. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I always liked what they did with the kids. Because envy is normal in children. Why do they get to go to this? Why do they? Why do? You, and they would stop them and say, "No, you be happy for them. You're not going to do that. You're going to. You're going to be happy. You be happy for them." I thought, "Wow, I love that. I love that. They're teaching them not to be envious, right? You're, we're supposed to rejoice when one another does well and does good. We should rejoice with one another, right? Absolutely." God says, I don't want my children living in, like, in envy over other people. And then finally, we see her evil speaking. Speaking down to somebody. To demean. To slander. Right? Listen, we don't need to be... It's funny, these are inward sins, but I tell you what, demeaning speech, you can pull it off. Not pull it, you can, you can see it pretty quickly sometimes. When people talk down to you. You know, nobody likes that. And let me ask you this as a child of God, and as where we have been rescued from, what do we have to talk down to anybody for? Right? Like, like it's been said, I'm just a, you know, a beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. <laughs> We're just all a bunch of beggars, man. We're all in the orphanage. We all could, none of us could take our, uh, care of ourselves. We're all headed for hell. There's nobody, we, we shouldn't be talking down to anybody. 
Especially shouldn't be slandering. Romans 13, 12. Paul said, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We've seen this over and over again. Putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. Ephesians 4, 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle, the old man, putting off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And he goes on to say that you put on the new man, right? Which is renewed, uh, you know, it's, uh, day by day. And, but we're to put off and to put on. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. But now uh, ye also put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put off the old man, put on the new man. It is an active thing that we must do. Now here's what I want to deal with real quickly. There's consequences for not putting off the sins of the flesh. There's consequences. Sin has grave consequences. I want to give you six of them tonight. They'll be quick. I'm watching the clock fleet away as sands to the hourglass. No, never mind. Six consequences. Number one. The loss of light. The Bible says the entrance of thy word giveth light. We're going to connect all this. You'll, you'll see these all inter, in, in, intertwined with one another. Turn over to 1 John. We're going to spend quite a bit of time between 1 and 2 John. 1 John. And if you, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanseth us from all sin. Look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even till now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. If you remember... Over in Ephesians, we, we, uh, we saw the distinction that we were not in the light or in darkness before we got saved. We were darkness, but now we are light, right? Now here it says in light and in darkness. Why? Because it's talking to believers. Believers, right, just as we are indwelt by the Spirit, sometimes we don't walk in the Spirit. Hey, listen, just because we are, as we are in light, it doesn't always mean that we walk in the light. Sometimes we're in light but walking in darkness in our actions, right? So what happens when we don't put off sin in our life? Well, we end up, we end up uh, in, a loss, in a loss of light. We're not walking in light anymore. We're walking in darkness. Yeah. It's, how many, come on, I don't need to spend time on this really, right? You, you, see the, you see the analogy, right? It's kind of hard to walk when it's dark. It's hard to find your way around when it's dark. You're going to trip and stumble when it's dark. You're going to stub your toe on things when it's dark, okay? Yeah, right. When, when sin is in our life and it's unchecked and it's undealt with, there is a loss of light. Number two, there is a loss of joy. What is the fruit of the Spirit? One of the, one of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is what? Joy. Joy. Right? 
What happens when sin is in our life that's unkept with, that's undealt with? We lose joy, right? We lose joy. We just sang it tonight, joy unspeakable, full of glory. You know what? When sin's in our life, it's kind of hard to say that. David said over in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. We, we know this, right? We understand. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. He said restore unto me the joy of it. Which meant what? That the salvation had to be intact if he was just looking for the joy back, right? And so here it is. When we don't do a sin in our life, we lose light. When we don't deal with sin in our life, we lose joy. Number three, there is a loss of love. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Now look at verse 15 and 17 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof... But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. What happens when sin is in our life, right? We're not walking in love. We lose empathy for fellow believers. We lose a love for the lost. Just a a, a, a don't care attitude for the lost. We lose that desire to be close to God. We lose that desire to have a loving relationship with Him. A loss of light, a loss of joy, a loss of love. First John chapter 3, we, number 4, we lose a loss of confidence. First John chapter 3, look at verse 19 and 20 through 20. I'm sorry, 19 through 22. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In his sight. What happens when we lose confidence? We stumble through life. Right? Brings darkness to our path. It clouds your thinking. You lose confidence. Satan will show up with a false confidence. You'll notice yourself saying more things like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm fine. This is no big deal. You know what, it's, you know what it's revealed? You've lost confidence in God. And the confidence you should have had, now you're putting confidence in flesh. And the Bible says we are not to put any confidence in the flesh. Amen? That's the last place we want to put confidence. So we see the consequences of sin, the loss of light, the loss of joy, the loss of love, the loss of confidence. Watch this. Number five, the loss of fellowship. First John chapter 1, look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Where does fellowship take place? In the light. Fellowship takes place in the light. What happens when we're walking with unchecked sin, with unconfessed sin? Well, we are, we're out of fellowship. We're out of fellowship with God. You know, sometimes we see it when we, it's not possible to have the fellowship that we desire with family members because they're not walking with God. You just you don't have anything in common, 
They're living a life that is totally outside of where you live. And it's, you want the fellowship. You want the closeness. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's, maybe it's a child. Maybe it's somebody like that. You desire that, but it, it just, it's not happening. Why? Because of the sin that's going on. Yeah. Can I tell you, if you understand what that feels like, think what God feels. He wants the closeness with us. He wants the fellowship with us. He, he wants to be able to walk with us like that. But the sin in our life keeps that from happening. It's devastating. Yeah. Number six, the loss of health and even physical life. Sure. The loss of light, the loss of joy, the loss of love, the loss of comf- uh, confidence, the loss of fellowship, and the loss of health or even physical life. And as you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, the Apostle Paul talked about those who are coming to the table in an unworthy manner. And he said, some are sick and some even sleep. They've died. They've died. Ananias and Sapphira, they died. They, they came in such a place of sin in their life that they died. Yeah. See, when we allow sin to remain in our life, it has dire consequences. So why do I bring this up here? Okay. We have, an inward, we have inward things that God says, I don't want my children living. I don't want you living like this. Why? Well, there's consequences. Why should we be concerned about the consequences? Look at our text. 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you look again at verse 2? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So Peter begins with the inner sins. Sins we should not have in our life. Why? Because sins will, watch this, ultimately we're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the word. But these inner sins in our life that have grave consequences, they'll take away our desire for the word. They will take away Watch, we'll lose light. You read your Bible and you just there's nothing coming off the page. And then eventually, there, if, you, if you do that long enough, you don't even pick it up anymore. Why? Oh, no, you've been there when things are right with God and you read and things are just jumping off the page all over the place. I mean, you're writing things. It's like, it's like I don't have time to sit here with this, right? And then you've had days when there's nothing there. And it's not because of this, Right? It's because there's something else going on. Peter says, or God is saying here, hey, I, 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 I don't want my children living like this. Why? Because you need to desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? Listen, if you lose, you'll lose light. If you, lo- if you lose joy. If you lose love. Listen, you'll, you'll lose your desire for the word of God. You'll, listen, you lose your desire for the word, you are going to lose joy. You absolutely will. If you lose, listen, if you, if you lose your desire for the word of God, <clears throat> you're not going to grow. If you've lost your appetite for the word of God, you're not going to grow. You'll never grow into the, man, the Christian man or woman that God desires you to be. Yeah. So he wants you to live in light. He wants you to live in joy. He wants you to live in confidence. He wants you to live in fellowship. He wants you to live uh, with, with health, <laughs> right? He wants your soul to prosper as your life prospers, we see. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be a multi-bazillionaire. 
that never gets sick. No. You need the word. Listen, but if there's sin there, it's going to shut it off. You know, if you've ever studied what is in a mother's milk, it is mind-boggling. To say just the mother's milk came through an evolutionary process is beyond laughable. Let me ask you this. In an infant, do you ever, do you ever give infants bottles of water? Not very much, do you? I, I, right. Do you know that mother's milk is 90% water? The body is 75% water. You've got, you have to have water. But a little infant, a baby, a, a newborn can't, ha- can't handle just straight water. But they get it through the mother's milk. Do you know, with, you know, there's the vitamins. Do you know, do you know the mother's milk is actually like, like a vaccine? Do you know it coats the, the little baby, it coats that baby's stomach, it coats, the, it coats everything and it, the, to actually seal it up to keep, to keep uh, uh, viruses and bugs and things like that out of it? It's incredible. There, of course, there's vitamins, there's nutrients, there's all sorts of things. There's things that scientists say, we don't know and we don't understand it. We just know what's in there. We don't fully understand what it does. It's incredible. What is it? It has everything that little baby needs to survive. And God says, child, I want you to desire the sincere milk of the word of God. Why? It has everything you need. If you've ever given a, a newborn, a little baby or even a little one, not even just a newborn, a little one, a bottle, and you start coming to that thing with the bottle, you know, the little feet start kicking and the arms kick and the mouth's moving and it's just, it's ready for a bottle, Right? Do you do that with this? Watch. If you don't, it is an indication that there's one of six things that have been, that's going on inside. Watch. Let me say it this way. There's a problem. There's sin somewhere. This is one of the greatest, listen, this is one of the greatest, you want to go to the doctor and and find out and get a, and, and get them to give you a, What's that thing called when they, when they tell you about what's wrong with you? You know, you want to get a diagnosis, right? I mean, one of the great, greatest diagnoses from God that something's wrong in our life is when we don't crave this anymore. It's saying this, you, there, there's something going on. And you know what God is saying? It's destroying you. And I want you to get out of your life because I want you to crave the word again. Because if you crave the word, then you can grow up, right? Then you'll have joy. And contentment and peace. Oh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. You ever pick up the Bible? May, I, I don't know about you. My, my best time to read is in the morning. After, I mean, after 3 o'clock, my brain's going downhill. You know, some people read at night. It's wonderful if you can do that. I can't. I, I, I can't do it. And uh, my best time is early in the morning. Have you ever done that? You, you've done it. You've got maybe, I don't know how your routine, routine is, maybe, maybe you're right with God and you go get a cup of coffee first and, and uh, not tea or milk or juice or anything, but anyway, uh, you, whatever your routine is, 
Have you ever done this? And you've got all set up, uh, and, maybe the exp- and you pick up your Bible, and you go to go sit down, and something inside of you, the joy that comes out, because you're looking forward to sitting down and reading. What is that? What is that? That is the desire of the sincere. That sincere is complete. It's, it needs nothing else. The sincere milk of the Word of God. And you can't wait to sit down with it. If you can't do that, there's sin somewhere. And God says, listen, actively, you get it out. You get it out of your life. Right? But if a baby's not drinking milk, what, what's happening? You're going to the doctor because something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah. Diagnosis. That's a diagnosis. What's the remedy? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is the remedy? Confess the sin. It's really that simple. It really is. Confess it. Yeah. What will happen? If you deal with the sin in your life, the joy comes back. The hunger for the word comes back. It's, it's a wonderful thing. You've been there, haven't you? We've all been through the ebbs and flows. We've all been through the ups and downs. We've all been through the hungering for the word of God in the time when, when, when sin has been allowed to stay too long and, and it's kind of you haven't had any appetite for it. We've been there. You've been there. Listen, if you're there tonight, tonight, stop. God's saying, stop it. You got malice, you got bitterness, you got something that keeps coming up, something that nobody sees, stop it tonight. Give it to them tonight. Right? Have you been deceitful with somebody? They've been deceiving? Stop it tonight. Tell God tonight, I, have, I agree with you, I have been deceiving, and I, I, I repent of that, and I'm stopping it tonight. Maybe you've been a hypocrite. Maybe you've been envious of somebody. You watch them pass by, you see the things that they have, it's a neighbor, it's somebody, somebody in church, and you see it, and every time it just kind of just grates on you. Stop it tonight. Confess it tonight. Yeah. Maybe you've been demeaning to people. Certainly not slanderous. We'd hate to think it'd be that far. Maybe it's something else the Holy Spirit has put his finger on tonight. You, (laughs) you know what it is. You know what it is. You know what you need to do as a child of God? Go approach your father tonight and say, you're right, I'm wrong, that's sin. And tonight I'm stopping. I'm begging for the help of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do this. But in my heart of heart, in my heart, I'm stopping this tonight. And I'll do whatever it needs to do to stop this. Why? Because you, you, we need the word of God. We've got to have it. As newborn babes, desire it. Crave it. The sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know what the, one of the saddest things is? As a pastor and those that have pastored before, you've seen it. You've seen somebody 20, 30, 40 years supposedly in the Lord. And they're like, they're still puking up milk. Yeah. They, they, haven't gone, they haven't gone beyond the milk. I mean, they're, they're, they're not even at milk yet. I mean, they're definitely not on the meat of the word. And they're just like, there's no, there's been no growth. No growth whatsoever. It's sad. It's an awful thing to see. Yeah. Confess it tonight. Put the sins of the old man, put them off. Put them off tonight. And that desire and that hunger and that appetite will come back. It absolutely will. Absolutely will. Our Father, thank you tonight. We thank you that you are our Father.
We love you tonight. And Lord, I'm thankful for the diagnosis tonight. We've all been there. And there may be some here tonight that this is not an issue for them tonight whatsoever. They desire your word. They're, they're hungry for the word. I mean, the light that, that they're getting, the joy, it's all there. Everything's there. They don't have an issue whatsoever tonight. And we're thankful for that tonight. We just pray that uh, we would just uh, be, walk circumspectly that we don't get to this place. But there could be somebody here tonight. There could be somebody watching online tonight. There could be somebody watching this recording in the future. And they know it tonight. They've lost their appetite for the word. I pray tonight that, Lord, you would drive us. We, we know what it is. If somebody hears, we, we, if we've been like this in the past, or maybe they're here tonight like this, you know what it is. So, Father, would you help us just to acknowledge that before you tonight and confess it. Walk out of here tonight with the joy of the Lord. Maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's two or three or five or ten. I don't know. Whatever it is, would you help us to deal with it? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Piano's going to play. We can stand tonight if you would. Give you just a little bit of time here to deal with the Lord. Maybe you're not in that place tonight where you've lost your appetite for the things of God. But you're definitely in the place where you want God to help you to continue to walk in a circumspect way that you don't get there. Do you know even the little, the smallest, tiniest little splinter left undealt with can bring a great infection to the body? Sometimes you can barely see that the only reason you know it's there is all of a sudden you see the swelling and you see and you feel the pain. You're like, oh, wow, there's something there. And you start digging away to get that thing out of there. Listen, it doesn't have to be big, massive, gross sin that the world would look at and go, oh, wow, yuck. Sometimes it's just little bitty stuff. Little things left undone. I'm telling you, it'll take your appetite. and absolutely will. Well, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer here tonight. We'll see everybody Saturday morning, men's prayer. We'll go out and I think the weather hopefully will be good enough to do some door knocking. And uh, I've been itching to pass out our Spanish tracks. We got finally got some, we got some tracks back there in Spanish. And, and uh, now they'll all move out of Nixon. We won't have any to pass out. <laughs> It'll be all right. So, anyway, we left one at the.